to begin. Coming to you from the desert, somewhere in Arizona. It's here. It's here. The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. It's him. He's alive. If you're looking for new ways to generate wealth and passive income, you're in the right place. You want it all, don't you? You're in the right place. This is the podcast for those wanting to take control and gain freedom through alternative investments. If you're following your mom and dad's investment advice. Honey, I'm home. Yeah, this isn't the podcast for you. Do you know what time it is? Why, yes. Yes, I do. I know what you're thinking. This is going to be unbelievable. It's time for The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. Andrew Lenoy. Hey, everyone. My next guest is John Truman Wolf, who's the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, The Coming Financial Crisis, A Look Behind the Wizard's Curtain. John's a really interesting guy with a with a great background, and we talk about the upcoming global financial crisis. It's always interesting to get a perspective from someone who's studied economics and a background in finance on everything that's happening in the economy right now and some future predictions. Enjoy. Hi, John. Uh, so so happy to have you on the show, and uh, thrilled for you to be here. How are you doing today? Well, it's my, my pleasure to, to join you. I'm doing well, thanks. Excellent. Um, so why don't you tell us a little about, a, a bit about your latest release, The Coming Financial Crisis, A Look Behind the Wizard's Curtain. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, if you would. Well, that, that book exposed, among other things, um, who was really behind the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, it was a bank that most people have never heard of called the Bank for International Settlements. Uh, that bank is in Basel, Switzerland. It is the central banker's central bank. It is, uh, the term that I've applied to it, is the godfather of the global financial mafia. Um, the major central banks of the planet, 55 of them, are members there. So members include the, you know, the Fed, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Italy, the Bank of Japan, etc. And uh, that bank, I repeat, based in Basel, dictates to the central banks of the world. And central banks, as I'm sure you know and, and your listeners know, basically determine the economic health of, of a country. So uh, the book exposes the BIS at some length. Um, this is interestingly a bank that has um, uh, its own, uh, Swiss law doesn't affect it, Andrew. Uh, its employees are immune from prosecution. They have their own militia on the property. Uh, they are above the law, believe it or not. And um, uh, that bank, when it issues uh, directives, are basically complied with around the planet. And I think you had mentioned it at some point that this there, there was a, maybe it's a, a theory or not, there was a central bank of central banks, right? There was one bank that was kind of um, leading the charge in all this, and that's the bank you had just referenced? Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, great. Maybe talk a little bit about the, the bail-in procedures and how this all, this all ties in for those who don't uh, know exactly what that is. Well, it's a good, it's a good question, and uh, following on the introduction of the 
BIS, the Bank for International Settlements, uh, the planet is awash with uh, derivatives. Uh, not to get too technical, a derivative is simply a security that has within it something that generates value or income, like the, more, the infamous mortgage-backed securities of 2008 were basically packages of mortgages. So it's not the mortgages themselves, uh, the mortgages generate income, but the package of mortgages is a derivative. Uh, there are 1.4 quadrillion, quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives on the planet. The vast majority of those are what are called interest rate swaps, which is a mouthful, which basically means these are bets on the direction of interest rates. That's it. You know, B of A goes, I think Greek bonds, the interest rate on Greek bonds is going up, and Deutsche Bank goes, no, no, they're going down, and they bet. And that bet becomes a security and then people bet on those bets and people bet on those bets and there is this pyramid. Uh, so you have about, it varies a, a bit, but about 75, 80% of those derivatives are these interest rate swaps, which are just basically Vegas style gamblings. And um, the New York money center banks have got about 227 trillion, that's with a T, dollars worth of derivatives. Um, and the Bank for International Settlements, I repeat, is kind of the godfather of this scene. They saw that these banks are pregnant with derivatives. Uh, in my opinion, somebody's gonna put a pin in this thing sooner or later. Um, but they issued this policy called bail-ins, to get back to your question, which basically say, um, if a bank is troubled, they're going under, they're not doing well, they have the right and authority to take depositors' money and convert it to bank stock without the depositors' permission, just, just take it. So that is, <coughs> pardon me, that is bail-in policy. Uh, it is official policy in the EU, in Canada, and um, the uh, Dodd-Frank legislation of a few years ago made it policy here. There's actually a, a, an instruction online put together by the FDIC and the Bank of England on how bail-in policy would work here. So um, this is, um, you know, onerous. Most people don't have a clue uh, about bail-in policy or that their, their deposits are at risk. So a little further to that, you wrote a book called uh, The 99 Strongest Banks in America and Why It Matters. Um, so for people that have, you know, there's, there's obviously an FDIC insurance that's up to $250,000 for individuals. Um, when people are looking to invest, whether it's in a large bank or a small bank, what, what, um, what really should consumers be looking for? Because you're right, I don't think many people know about this. Um, what do you recommend for consumers? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, Bail-in policy applies to banks with $50 billion in assets or more. So I recommend to people to, if they've got, you know, significant amounts of money in the uh, New York money center banks, B of A, Wells, uh, Citibank, JP Morgan Chase, to move the bulk of that money to a smaller regional independent bank. Doesn't have to be a, a, a little teeny bank, but uh, ensure that your bank has got deposits uh, I mean, assets rather of 50 billion or uh, under 50 billion. 
in which case bail-in policy does not apply, at least the way uh, the regulations are written now. So I encourage people to, you know, to, to move into smaller regional banks. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes their deposits out of the, you know, the target range for bail-ins. Got it. And I'm sure it's very complicated. I mean, how does, how does FDIC insurance fail? And is that part of this, this up and coming, this, this crisis that's potentially happening in the, in the future? You know, really, really, really critical question. I have not been able to get the FDIC to uh, say whether or not uh, their insurance applies in a bail-in situation. I've talked to uh, Federal Reserve Bank uh, in the issue that is online written by the FDIC and the Bank of England talking about the procedure of a bail-in. Uh, there is no uh, insurance mentioned whatsoever. Um, so I'll be dead frank with you. I don't know if it will apply or not. One hopes so, uh, but uh, the federal government has been, the Fed uh, in particular, has been closed mouth about that. Um, let's talk about fiat cur currency a little bit. So when I, when I was um, just doing a little research, and I think I had looked at, into this years ago, the, the lifespan of fiat currency typically is um, is twenty is twenty seven years? Is that your your understanding? Basically, when that when the currency is pulled from gold, like for for, for in our case in the U.S., it's when Nixon took it took it off gold gold in seventy one, right? Is that your understanding about twenty seven years? You know, I haven't heard that that figure before. Um, uh, so I don't, you know, I don't know if twenty seven years is a is is a number. You're talking about at what point the fiat currency begins to deteriorate? Yeah, I think it was average lifespan of about 27, 27 years. It, it, that, that figure doesn't surprise me. I, you know, I don't know any, I don't have any hard data on that. But um, look, we're going through uh, a major, major financial restructuring. We're kind of at the beginning of it. Um, if I go back in my mind, maybe a couple of years or maybe two, three years and uh, people talking about Bitcoin, I just kind of blew it off. Well, this is some kind of made up something. It's, but I'll tell you, digital currencies are here to stay. They're not going away. Um, uh, Bitcoin is extremely strong. There are thousands of digital currencies, most of which are just junk. But there are uh, digital currencies that represent real value and real production. Uh, Ripple is an example, which has a facility to enable uh, uh, banks to make transfers internationally outside of the Swiss system uh, very well. Um, Ethereum, uh, the company that provides the software for blockchain, blockchains, and um, I'm no expert in that, but blockchains are basically the software devices that enable people to transfer currency or other assets. Anyway, Ethereum um, has value. So some of these things have real value. Some of them are just uh, based on emotion. But this is changing, uh, Andrew. And in my opinion, uh, it won't be that long. Certainly in your lifetime, there will be no more cash. Bank accounts will be zeros and ones. Um, the International Monetary Fund is fond of the digital currencies. Uh, China has developed a national digital currency, which they're testing in one of their 
provinces. Moscow is developing one. There are two articles I recently re uh, read from uh, people in the Fed. It wasn't from the chairman, but it was from a couple of uh, uh, Fed governors that talked about, uh, you know, we've got to look into digital currencies. So th this is coming. This is, this is going to be in the future uh, w without a doubt in my mind. So interesting thing, we've got a lot of real estate listeners and, and uh, a lot of folks that that's their core business. Um, some of the numbers now are, are pretty staggering. I just saw that there was about two and a half million mortgages in the, uh, in the United States that are um, 90 days late or more, which is a pretty, um, pretty massive number. Um, how yeah. do you think, you know, we've got uh, an inventory issue, very low inventory in residential rates are obviously at an all time low. Um, some of the just some of the, the data that's coming out um, saying that malls are going to be closed down in the next two or three years. And obviously retail's getting hammered pretty hard right now. Um, what do you, how does, how does the, these historically low interest rates um, affect the world markets or affect the, the U S specifically? I mean, how long, I think that they've said that the, the rates are going to stay pretty low for another few years, but how do you think that, that affects either the U.S. or just the world markets? Well, you know, I'll, I'll confess right off, I've been surprised at the, how strongly the real estate market in this country has held up. Uh, certainly, in, I'm in the general Southern California area. It's, it's strong here. I've talked to folks across the state. You would know this better than I. But in general, the real estate market seems uh, uh, strong uh, during all this uh, pandemic noise and so forth. And uh, at least the, the, the reason that uh, makes sense to me are these rates, as you mentioned. Um, you know, back in another life, I was a banker in San Francisco, and I remember making mortgage loans of, you know, a 6% loan was really, really good. Uh, so here I've got a mortgage broker, a friend of mine, and he says he's making, the, you know, he's making these loans at 2.5% uh, all, all, all day long. He said he made a 15 a 15 year fixed at 1.99. So th these, <laughs> these numbers, as I repeat, as you know better than I, I mean, I, this is uh, unheard of. So at what point does that steam run out? I, I'm not sure. I mean, Powell has said he's gonna keep rates at zero until the end of 2021. So, you know, at least there's that, uh, uh, you know, period of time in which it's gonna stay low. How does this affect the, the world markets? You know, with, with all our warts, we're still the leading economy in the world. We're still the place where foreign investors like to put their money. Um, and, uh, you know, again, you're, you're kind of the real estate expert, from, but, but from my, my opinion, I think those markets will stay strong for, for at least another year or so. How that affects uh, foreign investors, um, you know, as the U.S. goes, so so does the, you know, the investors in China and Japan and and uh, and the EU go. Um, we're we're still leading the charge. Uh, Beijing is 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 trying to catch up. Um, some years ago, a friend of mine uh, sent the book that you mentioned to some people in Beijing. A friend of mine in Taiwan. He sent me an email and he said, you know, the Chinese government would like to talk to you about the solutions in the book. And I, I, th I thought it was a joke. You know, I said, have them fly me over business class and 
put me up in this particular hotel in Beijing, which I happen to know is a nice hotel. And he sent me an email back and went, they'll fly you however you want. They'll put you up wherever you want. So I, I flew to Beijing. The, the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, flew me there. I spent a week talking to some, you know, reasonably well-positioned people. Uh, and um, that's a long story. But among other things, uh, Andrew, I had dinner with the president of China Gold, which is the largest gold mining consortium in the world. This guy's got 40,000 employees. And he was buying up gold mines around the planet like Pac-Man. Um, and China continues to focus on gold. I, I write a, a financial newsletter, uh, and the last issue was on the war between the US and China on the subject of gold. So. Um, uh, there is a focus now, if you look at the precious metals markets, they're doing very, very well, as are the digital currency markets. Um, uh, today there was some uh, downdraft, but you know, Bitcoin, Ripple, Ethereum, these things are booming, uh, as is gold and silver. So uh, that seems to be uh, an area where people are putting money in addition to real estate. And I know uh, talking to, a, I guess, a mutual friend of ours, Jason uh, Hartman, th this is still a, a, a booming market. So um, I, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for something to turn, but, but right now, uh, across the boards, right, real estate's doing well, the stock market's near its all-time high, uh, precious metals are doing well, digital currencies are doing well, uh, and we've got what, 20 million people out of work? And the GDP is falling like a rock off a tall building. So something doesn't fit there. Right, right. Yeah, and I think over the last, I think we're, we're five months into uh, COVID at this point, and the last numbers I saw, I think we we're close to 55 million jobless claims, and some of those folks are back to work, and some industries, the entertainment industry, the concert business, sports are just decimated and wiped out. Um, what do you think, you know, it's pretty interesting through the subprime crash, companies like Uber were, were, were started and Airbnb. And so there's, there's obviously all kinds of problems that are happening right now that didn't exist six months ago. Um, you know, if you're, if you're married with a couple kids and uh, everyone's at home now, homeschooling, you give your, you know, you give your left arm for another office, right? Or another bedroom in the home. Uh, and back to the you know, 55 million Jobless claims. Well, I mean, what do you what do you think this is this this looks like in the next six to twelve, two years? Just as far as the the job market and specifically in in the U.S., do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I can't think other than it's going to be rough as hell if I can say that. Um, you know, my my son lives up in in San Francisco and among other things uh, uh, manages his wife's beauty salon, a very Kind of prestigious uh, beauty salon there in the in the San Francisco East Bay. They're they're closed down. I mean, he's got two kids. Uh, they tried to open up, uh, and and Governor Newsom shut them down again. Uh, and he is not atypical. Um, I you know I've got friends. They're just out of work. They have no job. So uh, it I, I I don't like being pessimistic, but I don't think this ends well. Um, I think this catches up with you. I think the, and not to get partisan about it, but I think the president's doing a, a, a good job of trying to restore things. And, and in general, the stats are up, Andrew. I mean, in, in, in general, 
seem to be you know climbing out of that out of that uh, v on the on the right side of that v but um i think with this many people out of work and companies exactly like you say uh, uber airbnb they're decimated they're just decimated so uh, i think it's going to be i think you know everybody's talking about how nice 2021 is going to be i i you know i have my doubts i think it's going to be rough yeah even as people dig out of this you know a mess they're out of work for three four five months you got to catch up on their bills and their mortgages and their you know uh, as i'm sure you know a lot of the mortgage lenders are being somewhat accommodating by uh you know letting folks defer mortgage payments for a few months but that'll go on only so long yeah absolutely um, so for the for some of the listeners, what what are some some key takeaways or um, so you've got which which we'll we'll leave in the show notes. You've got a podcast that you do. You've got a financial newsletter. Uh, we're we're big on education in in, in general. Um, what are some takeaways for for the listeners? Like, what do you recommend right now? I mean, there's so there's so much bad information out there. Uh, and back to what you said, I I really don't think a lot of this is gonna. And well, I mean, I mean, the courts haven't been open for months and months and months and probably backlogged on processing mortgages and, you know, all of uh, just a massive amount of mortgage failures. And um, so what do you recommend? What would you what would you tell the listeners just as far as uh, how to be prepared in, in, and really just on the educational side? Well, um, I've got I don't want to sound like a used car salesman, but I just finished last night at like three in the morning, uh, the most recent newsletter, which gets into that exact subject, which is, OK, good. What do you invest in? And I kind of d- detail that in some length. If you've got some some extra bread, uh, I would put it in precious metals and I would put it in digital currencies. Not And, you know, I, I specify those in the newsletters. I won't get into it here, but um, if you're not an owner of some gold and silver, I would buy some. Uh, you don't have to go nuts with that, but um, uh, it's climbing now, whether or not it's the pandemic that is driving the prices of gold and silver up or not is another question. Uh, but, um, you know, if you've got a little extra money in your reserves, but, you know, buy some gold and silver. I'm a big fan of silver because it's much less expensive. I mean, if things really hit the fan, you have a hard time buying groceries with an ounce of gold, which is around two grand, as opposed to an ounce of silver, which is 30 bucks or so today. So uh, I'm a fan of silver. Um, There are all kinds of bullion dealers across the country uh, that sell these things. Um, And I would stick my toe, if, if you're not, stick my toe into the digital currency market because uh, this, area has matured and is expanding um and with the major governments on the planet i repeat beijing moscow washington all now talking about national digital currencies this is coming uh and so i think it's smart of people uh if they're not familiar with that world to get familiar with it it's not that complicated uh, and, and, you know, investment wise, stick their, stick their toe in that water. That's great. Well, really appreciate you having you, uh, on the show today. And, uh, why don't you just let listeners know maybe the, 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 the podcast, uh, website, and then the financial newsletter, and we'll put everything in the show notes as well. Sure. Well, the financial newsletter is kind of where I, I, 
you know, gush things and which is most important. It's a bit of a mouthful, strategic financial intelligence. So it's strategicfinancialintelligence.com. Um, and you can get the newsletter there. We discounted the price during the crisis from 249 a year to 99 bucks a year, it's two bucks a week. Uh, if I can't make you a hundred bucks <laughs> with this news newsletter, I'm doing something wrong. So strategic financial intelligence, uh, John Truman Wolf podcast, you can, you can check. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, th there are specific recommendations in the issue that's just about to be published. I would encourage folks if they wanted to, you know, take a look. Um, I named some specific gold stocks. Uh, and some uh, precious and some digital currencies. So I would encourage people to, you know, sign up and read and get educated. Perfect. Well, thanks again, John. Great to have you on. And uh, good luck. Uh, good luck with everything in the future. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks for having me. This was the Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. You'd do it again if you thought you could get away with it, wouldn't you? Visit theimpatientinvestor.com for more episodes and be sure to share this podcast. Now, don't tell me you're taking all this seriously. No, seriously. Seriously. Go share it and rate it on iTunes today.